This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. What branding really means, if I were to put it as succinctly as I can, I think that branding really is listening to the guests and being a steward of your brand. And the, the guests will then shape the brand for you and they'll determine what the brand is. And it's your responsibility to follow that uh, guidepost. Oftentimes, I think people try and do it the other way around and shift the guest's mind to this is how our brand is, not this. And I think that's an incorrect uh, position to take. This was Steve Schultz, who built Nectar Juice Bar into a franchise of over 160 locations nationwide, with sales well above $100 million a year. As regular listeners of this show will know, I am always thrilled to feature franchise success stories. Because when it comes to franchises, branding is the holy grail, while adding a layer of complexity to the creation of the brand. Steve and I dive into the power of listening to your customer, how he pulled off being a store inside of Whole Foods, how to create brand loyalty, and how to work with creative agencies and consultants like myself along the way to create brand focus and clarity. Much to get out of this episode. A quick reminder before we dive in, please show your support for the show so I can keep it advertising-free without interrupting these conversations. Starting at $5.95 a month, your support as a sustaining member would be greatly appreciated. Head on over to patreon.com slash hitting the mark. And now here is Steve of Nectar. Welcome to the show, Steve. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. And I'm happy to be here. Oh, absolutely. Well, first things first. How has Nectar kept up during these unprecedented times? You know, you know. I think a lot of restaurant brands. You know, everybody's had to pivot. And everybody's had to you know adapt accordingly. Um, I think that you know Nectar being in somewhat of a unique space, meaning the health, wellness. Uh, we're not fine dining. We're not sit down. Uh, but you know, we've been able to you know adjust and modify accordingly. When the you know pandemic first hit, sales were off uh, 75, 80% for about the first 30 days. Mm. Since then, we've seen about double-digit increases, and today we're frankly comping you know even or positive uh, you know from a year ago. So I think it's uh, you know it, it's been interesting. Obviously, I think it's been very difficult for a lot of people. It's been tough on the staff. Uh, but I think that uh, you know we've been able to navigate through it, and uh, and it's been important. That's amazing, and and we we, we talked a little bit um, uh, you know offline prior. You even had some franchises open, right? Some people actually approached you and said, "Hey, we we want to we want to open our own spot now." Yeah, you know we've uh, you know franchise int- you know during this time you know franchise interest has remained high. We've had discovery days, and and most surprising to me is you know starting in early May we had locations starting to open about one a week. I think we've opened about three or four uh, over the last month. And frankly, I, I didn't think it was the greatest idea in the world, but uh, all four actually opened very strong. And, uh, and I think that, uh, and I think, it, I think health, wellness, uh, and things of that are top of mind. So I think that, uh, you know, for, for Nectar, I think that, uh, you know, provides some solace and, you know, throughout this, uh, you know, whole crisis that we've been through. Um, and I think that people take comfort in, uh, in going to some place. They know they can get something, you know, fresh and healthy and, and that, uh, you know, that can sustain them, uh, you know, now and going forward. 
Well, and it speaks volumes about the strength of your brand that 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 can happen during during this pandemic and you know the recession and all of that stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And you're you're only ten years old as a brand, right? I think your first store was down the street from us here in Long Beach, down in uh, Costa Mesa, right? Yeah, it's down Costa Mesa in October of two thousand ten. So uh, yeah, we'll be coming up on our ten year anniversary here in just. Uh, I was in uh, in the office or. We had a meeting last week, uh, basically surrounding what we're going to do during anniversary month and looking at our fall, signing off on our fall menu items. And uh, it was good to have everybody uh, all excited and uh, and engaged and looking at some terrific offerings and, and what we're going to do for the 10th anniversary. So, so it's yeah. an exciting time for us, really. Oh, that's 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 really good to hear. And and you know, like ten years ago, back in the day, um, so to speak, there was already a lot of competition in the fresh juice retail and franchise space in Southern California. I mean, there was what all all I remember, you know, was Jamba Juice and Juice It Up and Robex. Uh, but you came in and you showed those brands in a way. You showed them the way, right? You created stylish shops with attention to design and music and a limited venue. Um, it, it was very much a farm to table type of feel that today, obviously, we're all very accustomed to but how did it all start like how did you decide this is you know there is space for someone to come in well i think like a lot of things i think that you know what you do you look at you know sort of not not what's wrong in the space but how it could be better and i think that in society in general uh there's you know starting that time you saw sort of a seismic shift beginning in the sense of you know you saw the uh proliferation of whole foods and trader joe's and you know uh mother's market and you know, fresh fare and things of that nature. And I think that the, you know, the consumer is demanding more transparency, more freshness, more authenticity. And, you know, at the time, actually, I'd gone to, I'd work, I was working out some and <clears throat> going to Jamba Juice afterwards. And one day it took a little bit longer than usual to get my drink. And I happened to look at the menu, uh, the nutritionals. And, you know, sure enough, I was, I think, 93 grams of sugar or something were in the smoothie that I had. Um, uh, in comparison, it's, you know, to, and to a certain degree, after doing some due diligence, you know, as it turned out, the legacy brands, uh, you know, if you will, were at that particular time, were to, to a great degree, um, you know, sort of a glorified version of a, you know, of a Dairy Queen type, uh, you know, type product. And I thought there was room for people to come in that uh, were, you know, fresh, authentic, natural ingredients. And, the, you know, we developed juices that were very simple, you know, parsley, kale, spinach, apple, things like that, things of that nature, smoothies that, uh, the only filler would be coconut water and uh, house-made nut milk, and then we have acai bowls that were organic acai. And I think that uh, I think that that uh, you know that was a critical uh, you know critical decision for us is to make it very simple, make it uh, not overwhelming, make it approachable, make it accessible, uh, and introduce it uh, you know to the market in that particular fashion. Well, I make it clean, and I think this is really important because, uh, the, you know, the way that I know the Nectar brand, it always feels clean, right? There's a lot of white, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, you know, room and space around, around everything, right? And when you compare that just visually even to a Chamba Chews or a Robex, there's a lot of color splashes, and, and it does feel sugary. I mean, it does feel like overly joyous rather than, you know, like, no, this is actually, this comes from Earth, and this is, you know, the, this is the minimal, minimal amount of ingredients that you need. Uh, in order in order to feel great and to put good stuff into your body. So it's interesting to actually see it in the visual language. Yeah, it is. And you've talked about that a lot with branding and such. And I think that, you know, at that time when you walk into the stores, you see a very whimsical store, orange and pinks and, you know, all these, uh, you know, frilly type uh, colors. And ours was to, 
you know, bring it down to more of that, uh, you know, modern, you know, country farmhouse, bring it, uh, you know, bring the authenticity to it. And, and to a great degree, you know, follow the Starbucks model and, and in an attempt to, be, to become the Starbucks of juice so rather than meeting for a coffee and uh, sitting in Starbucks, you know, why can't they, why wouldn't somebody want to sit in a nectar and have a nice, uh, you know, experience and enjoy the day and be able to sit down in comfortable seats and nice lighting and nice environment and, and so that was the uh, that was the, those were some of the some of the principles from the branding perspective when we when we set out with the design. Well, and now that you brought up Starbucks, I think um, four years ago you guys launched an ordering and loyalty app, which for me is a key reason why I'm so loyal to Starbucks. Besides liking a lot of local roasters' coffees, uh, you know, much much better. I mean, much better quality. Um, you know, I, I like mm -hmm. the taste more, but. You simply cannot beat that convenience with, with the app. And now you have, I heard, uh, well over half a million people on your app. How important is that app to your brand now, looking, looking back? I mean, how has, it, how has it changed your brand? You know, I think the app has been critical. I think obviously during the last you know, you know, couple of months, it's been you know, very, you know, very important. We've got uh, just about 700,000 people on the app. Uh, is is you've talked about convenience is, is important. Uh, you know, we've gone from about 32%. Uh, we started out obviously with zero back in 2016 as far as, you know, order ahead and the loyalty, you know, and, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, we were about 32%, uh, you know, ordered in advance an app, and now we're about 51.5%. So, um, you know, so it's a critical component, you know, not only from a... Uh, ordering and convenience standpoint, but also from a messaging standpoint in the sense of, you know, you can basically instantaneously, you know, push out your messages depending on what it may be, whether somebody's open or closed or a sale or items are running out or, you know, uh, or there's something in the neighborhood. Uh, so it's a, from a communication standpoint or if there's health information that we want to get to people, uh, you know, it's, uh, it makes it very accessible for us to, uh, you know, to be, you know, to touch our guests one-on-one -on -one and also get their feedback as well. Right, right, exactly. I was just about to say on the flip side, you have you have access to a, a huge amount of data that people, you know, willingly give you because because they actually want to be catered to in a better way. So it's a it's a win win for sure. And you also have a store inside a store concept with Whole Foods, which is absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually lucky because my local Whole Foods down here in Long Beach has you as, as part of it. Um, how did you get into Whole Foods? What was that story like? I'm sure you're not the first one to, to knock on knock on those doors. You know, it's funny you say that because, it was, and this is somewhat ironic in the sense of it was it was an instance in which we didn't, you know, they knocked on our doors and we didn't really knock on theirs. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, I got a call, frankly, about a year and a half ago, somewhat, uh, you know, out of the blue and said, you know, we've been researching brands and Southern California and uh, we're looking to convert some of our Whole Food uh Whole Food um, uh, juice and coffee uh, coffee bars from you know from Whole Foods to a you know to a brand that uh, represents you know what we represent and in our due diligence uh, your name was brought to our attention a number of times and as we <clears throat> look at these other brands we want to see if you'd be considered want to be considered to be uh, you know one of the brands we look at and obviously we we said sure and one thing led to another and so they they chose us as the uh, you know, as their uh, brand partner for uh, Southern California and the Southwest and whatnot. And so we started a uh, test in which we began taking over locations such as Long Beach and reconverting them into, uh, not reconverting them, retrofitting them into, uh, 
uh, you know, nectar locations with some modifications in the sense that we've added a coffee line to the, uh, you know, to the product mix that's right. almost exclusive for, for Whole Foods, really, just because of the demand and need that, uh, that coffee element. Uh, and we've had to limit the menu a little bit, but uh, again, it's about 100 to 200 square foot little kiosk. It's, uh, you know, our brands align, you know, uh, very well together, and uh, it's been a very good relationship for both of us. Well, and fantastic for brand recognition, right? It's basically a billboard to thousands of shoppers in, in, in just one location every day. Yeah, I think it's a billboard. I think there's certain validation in the sense of, you know, we're, a, we're about a 30% corporate brand, uh, uh, 70% franchise. You know, just because I believe you've, you know, we've probably got 40 locations at least that are uh, corporate locations. And I think that uh, that is a key element in the sense of, you know, we're in the trenches every day. So there's very little that we haven't, uh, you know, been through. Uh, and I think that's important that, you know, when you franchise, and I, so I think that with, with the Whole Foods, I think that, you know, a franchise, potential franchisees looking at the brand to have the validation of Whole Foods to say, hey, you know, Whole Foods chose them. Uh, I think that's a, that's a nice compliment. Oh, absolutely. And let, let's talk about... Let's talk about um, branding a little bit more and, and consistency, right? Because the two go hand in hand. And consistency is the most important ingredient of a franchise, I would say, right? Especially a retail franchise. Um, how did you go about that in the early days? Um, you, you had to create a, a brand aura, so to speak, that felt so right to you that it would easily and fruitfully, forgive the pun, scale into hundreds of locations. Um, I know that you took your time and you mentioned that just, just before that you opened, you know, 40 or so corporate owned franchise locations before even opening it up to others. Was that, was that a big way of kind of like just testing one at a time? But how did you know that, that, that what you felt for the brand was right? Like, did you do a lot of focus groups? How, how did that start? Now, I, yeah, we did not do focus groups, and to this day, we still have not done focus groups. I think that the, you know, in in a general conversation, if you're talking about uh, personal relationships or you're talking about business, I think the, the, the key component that people have always said, and it uh, comes to cliche after a while, is trying to listen. And I think that, you know, for us, I think the important part was, you know, listening to the guests, because I think oftentimes people misconstrue what, what a brand really is. And um, I think that, you know, that if you or I or, you know, if, if anybody could just go ahead and start a brand uh, and start Nike and whatever, you know, that'd be one thing. But it's not, it's not myself. It's not my team that makes the brand. You know, we have the concept. We have the idea. We then see how it resonates with the guest. And then basically, we're, as far as I'm concerned, we're stewards of the brand and we're listening to the guest. And that then shapes the, uh, that, that shapes the perception and that thus shapes the brand. And then that inevitably or eventually, you know, becomes the brand. So it's our responsibility really to, to, to listen and to, to, you know, execute from that standpoint. I think that, uh, like I said, I think oftentimes people believe they can, you know, if everybody could go out and do a swoosh and be a Nike or do, you know, a Lululemon <laughs> or be, you know, whomever, you know, it'd be a, uh, <laughs> be an actor. <laughs> so yeah, be an actor, whatever it is. So I think the people, uh, you know, you know, miss, uh, I, I just don't think they understand, uh, branding the way that, uh, you know, you do or many others do that, uh, you know, they, they read too many books and, uh, listen to too many things that just, uh, don't make sense. <laughs> 
And I love the idea that you you are totally um, adverse to uh, the idea of having focus groups, right? Because I mean that's what customers are for. They come in every day. You just have to listen. Um, let's talk. Let's let's go really granular here for a second. Let's talk about the logo of Nectar because it is very different. So the meaning behind the name makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but mm -hmm. you you placed an accent on the first e, uh, then you flipped the second e on its head. Um, it, it seems to me that that's a lot to grasp and a lot to recall. It's super bold coming in. How, how did you come up with this? Like, what was the story behind it? Uh, it definitely feels very different and bespoke, which is, which is, yeah, I guess, one of the reasons. You know, I would love to have a very uh, elaborate and in intricate and uh, <laughs> uh, well thought out story behind it. But, you know, obviously we know what the meaning of nectar, and I think it's very appropriate for what it is. As far as the spelling was concerned, when I typed it in, Ironically, I just went to Google, typed in Nectar, and sure enough, that popped in the phonetic spelling of it. Um, <laughs> that's ultimately where we ended up. That's awesome. And so, so, so it wasn't any more complicated than that. Well, that's that's pretty great because most most entrepreneurs, and let's say a lot of entrepreneurs that I know, um, they would most probably have freaked out, saying, "Oh my God, we're gonna spell it with you know with an accent, and we're gonna have an e upside down. How is that even gonna work? How can we how can we type that in all the time, and it's gonna confuse people?" But but for you, it's like, no, let's 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 go for it. People should get used to it and see it as a mark rather than a name, right? Which which I think is is really interesting. Yeah, and I do think that that is our. I, I think that you're, you're absolutely right. I think that that mark is, you know, the name is our mark, so to speak. We don't really have an icon that, uh, you know, goes along with it and and such. And um, you know, I think that the you know the the, the design of it, uh, the you know the font, and you know just uh, just resonated with us, uh, you know, very well. So so obviously, I've always enjoyed the name. I think well, a lot of people have too, and I like the way we spell it and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and it comes back to the cleanliness, right? Because the name has a lot going on. You don't need much more, right? It's like black and white, um, and it already tells tells that story. Um, how do how do you police your brand? Um, you know, so to speak. I mean, uh, you know, with a franchise. It is just so important, and it, it, it's key to the success not only of a franchisee but also the overall brand that you have that consistency. I know there are style guides, but usually style guides are not really looked at, looked at, right? I mean, it's just they kind of live there. But for a franchise, you have a whole set of rules in the beginning for any franchisee to 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 start using. Is there is there like a certain trick, or is there something that you learned where you felt like you know that worked really well for people to actually start embodying the brand visually, but but also you know just the way that they act every day, right? I mean, there's a rule book, so to speak. Yeah, there is a rule book. And quite often people, you know, they're, in theory, the reason people buy a franchise is because, you know, it's a proven system and, you know, and, uh, and they resonate with the brand and they want to go into business on their own and they're going to limit the risk by going with a proven concept and, and such. And then when that happens, invariably, it's, you know, they don't want to paint the wall green. They want to paint the wall blue. And <laughs> they like this kind of floor and that kind of floor. You know, they have different you know tastes and styles and, and, and such. And so, you know, it, it's a very tricky, tricky thing because I do think you have to, but I think it starts to begin. I think that you, people have to set up, you know, what their expectations are, what's going to be expected out of them, what the foundation is. Um, and, you know, I think similar to, you know, anything in life, I think that there's structure and people understand the structure, they respect it and they follow it. I think that, you know, the, the, the few times we've had people go outside the, 
outside the realm, thinking they could, you know, outthink the the mousetrap, so to speak. Usually, it is, uh, you know, backfired to a, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, and we've had to come in and, and correct. And then on, on the other hand, every now and then, you know, uh, you know, we not every now and then, quite often, we get great feedback from our franchisees as far as you know, uh, cost efficiencies and what they're looking for and such. But, uh, but I think that you're right. You do have to, uh, you do have to, um, get them really to buy into it. Meaning that when, when the relationship first starts, if they believe in the design, the layout, the concept, what we're doing, how the LSM program is going to work. And they're part of the concept. They're part of the idea. They're participating in it. Then you have buy-in from them. I think if you're just sitting there lecturing, this is what you're going to do like a school teacher. Mm. You know, I don't think you do. And I think too often when, when brands get too big or they get too systematic, um, you know, people get a little bit, uh, you know, off put, so to speak, if, uh, you know, if they're treated in that fashion. And um, so I think there's a, a, a mutual respect that goes, it goes along the way. And I think there's also, uh, you know, proven results. We have franchisees that just absolutely, you know, crush it. And then every now and then we have a franchisee that isn't necessarily found the rule book and they're doing, you know, so, so, and, uh, we get them back on track and all sales and sales go up and say, oh, I guess I should have listened to you at the beginning. And we're like, yeah, maybe you should have. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's, it's a different type of entrepreneur, right? Because I think that a lot of franchise uh, franchisee, um, you know, owners, well, owners, I guess that's not the right word, but, um, you know, people who start, who, so who buy into one of your franchises, um, they, they, they feel like they're entrepreneurial, right? Because in a way they're starting up, they're starting up their own shop, even though it's part of a franchise, right. but yet they, they know that they, they maybe can't do it by themselves so they don't have that energy to do a new brand by themselves. So I think that they're, they actually like to be led to a certain extent to their success. I mean, that's why they even join. Well, yeah, and I, and I think you're right. You, know, you see a lot of these, uh, you know, this is uh, a little of an aside, so to speak, but you see, you know, whether it be Instagram or all these other, you know, social platforms, you see a lot of these motivational sites of, you know, get up and do this and X, Y, Z and look in the mirror and affirmations and such. And so, but a lot of people don't have that impetus to take that first step. They just, you know, there's a hesitation and, uh, and a concern, a worry and, you know, whatever, whatever stops them from doing it. And so I think that, you know, uh, going into a franchise system, I think assists them, you know, to go through it in the sense of, hey, wait a minute, I'm not just going, I'm not just starting my own, you know, business blind, not knowing anything. Um, so it's a, so I think what they're doing is they're able to be entrepreneurs without taking the entire risk of mm -hmm. starting a, uh, you know, a concept with, you know, just blindly and just saying, okay, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And I think too often some of these, you know, motivation guys get people all excited, but they don't follow the execution aspect of it. Um, and the practical aspect of it, which then I think, uh, you know, doesn't help very much. Yeah, they can they can walk the entrepreneurship plank with a huge safety net underneath them, right? <laughs> Which makes yeah, it a exactly little bit right. Yeah, they can go to Tony Robbins, be all excited Saturday, Sunday. I'm going to do this, and then by Tuesday or Wednesday, they're back at the desk. And <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, um, I, I interviewed quite a few, um, I, I, besides yourself, quite a few amazing franchise leaders for this show, um, like Brian Scudamore of One Eight Hundred Got Chunk. I had Jeff Platt of Skyzone on it, Shelly Son of uh, Bright Star Care, and th there's always one question that. 
that I really, really like to ask. Um, did branding affect your company culture at all? Because culture is such a tough thing to get right. And with a franchise, it is it is not only harder, but one might argue, as we were just talking about, it's, it, it, it's even more important, right? And setting some very strong foundational brand pillars in place early on, like this is what we stand for. Even, you know, like emotionally, like what is the soul of the company? I, I feel like it can either make or break a culture. And it can, and where that comes in really, and you can tell the soul of the culture and soul of the company very early on, on you know, on, on who they are. And I think that you're absolutely right that, that when the company was founded, you know, it was viewed as, you know, us against the world, so to speak, in the sense of, you know, we've got the, the big legacy brands of the Jamba Juices and this, and, you know, here we are as a, um, you know, here we are as a, you know, a mom and pop and, you know, husband and wife uh, trying to change the way people eat and be authentic and the look and the design. And, you know, and our goal really was to be, you know, to, to offer authentic, you know, offerings that are healthy and good for you and affordable and accessible and not be an elitist about it and not, you know, serve these fancy, you know, 10 or $20 smoothies you might see in LA. And we wanted to make it affordable to you know, to from the guy that drives a Range Rover, the person that drives a Hyundai, the person that works at Staples, the person that works at, you know, Microsoft. And um, and I think that, you know, that mentality of both the design, the element, the what we are trying to achieve and changing things, um, you know, the kids bought into it. Um, you know, my uh, wife at the time bought into it. And, um, and I think that set the tone for, you know, all steps moving forward. What what does branding mean to you now that you went through those ten years? <laughs> what, what what does the word mean to you? Because it gets it gets uh, misconstrued so often, right? And it has it has kind of like a bad rap. It needs a rebranding in my eyes. But what what does what does branding mean to you? But uh, yeah, it's interesting to say that because you know often I get questions that are you know um, along these lines, but not as direct. And I think that uh, you're you're on point with branding because I think there's a mis misinterpretation, uh, you know, as I sort of touched upon earlier, I think that what happens is I think that you have your founding principles and idea that is deeper than the, you know, the look and the feel of, you know, uh, of who you are. And then I think that you have a general concept of what you visualize that brand to be. Um, meaning that the, you know, we visualize the, you know, our storyboard, so to speak of, you know, health and wellness and who we wanted to to achieve and you know what we wanted to achieve and what we wanted to offer and putting the guests first which again sounds like a cliche but you know it is true um and i think that the the most important thing what branding really means to if i were to put it as succinctly as i can i think that you know, branding really is listening to the uh listening to the guests and being a steward of your brand and the, the guests will then shape the brand for you and they'll determine what the brand is. And it's your responsibility to follow that uh, guidepost. I think trying to shift to oftentimes, I think people try and do it the other way around and shift the guest mind to this is how our brand is, not this. And I think that's an incorrect uh, position to take. Uh, really, really well said, right? It, it comes back to this overly used word of empathy, right? Um, of, of a brand needs to be empathetic, but um, most uh, mo most are forcing it, right? And I, I think uh, 
you said it really, really well. Looking, looking back, what was that one big breakthrough moment um, where you felt like, you know what, we are, we are moving from a once one shop, a two shop, uh, you know, place into an actual potential franchise or into an actual brand? Like, and this may or may not be directly linked to sales figures at all. But when did you feel like you actually cracked the code with Nectar? You know, this is a very interesting question, you know, for us, you know, we're up to about, a, you know, if you look at us today, you know, 10 years later, we've got a little over 170 locations over, you know, open, um, about 150 or so in, you know, in the pipeline under construction or development some capacity. But if you rewind back to around 2012, 13, somewhere in there, I think we had about 20 locations open. And this is going back to your question specifically. And so we thought at that time, hey, we're getting to be kind of, uh, you know, big boys. And we, you know, if we really want to make this brand significant, we got to bring in people who know what, knows what's going on. So we basically said, all right, tell you what, instead of going with the, you know, sticking with that, you know, that culture and the brand that I've, you know, talked about, uh, you know, throughout, we said, you know, we're going to bring in people that have experience at Starbucks and these, you know, bigger brands that have been there 10, 15 years and, you know, that really know how to do it. And so sure enough, uh, you know, over a period of months, the executive staff, the district managers and such all were now coming in from, you know, from these, uh, you know, big, large legacy brands. And what we found is that they were basically, you know, sort of placeholders. They didn't have the passion. They didn't get the hands dirty. They, they were following protocol and okay, Hey, where are the books? And I just want to follow, check this, this, this. And, you know, um, and there just wasn't the, uh, you know, wasn't the passion. There wasn't, uh, they just looked at people as a, more as a number. And so it was a critical mistake that we made and took us about a year to recover in the sense of, you know, we had to have people that were, we, you know, we really found that we're going to take people that are, that, yes, they have a fundamental skill set, uh, but overall they've got to be passionate. They've got to be curious. They've got to be willing to get their hands dirty. They got to be willing to help others. And, um, and a lot of times, I think that uh, when we brought in some of these uh, some of these folks from the legacy brands, you know, it looked as though they just you know they wanted the job and they wanted the you know the four hundred one k and this and this and this <laughs> they wanted the job security, but they but it was just more of a job to them, not a mission and a passion. Right. And uh, <clears throat> and so we had to go back to the people that have a mission and a passion, and uh, and here we are ten years later, and you know we've gone through COVID, we had to go through quite a few layoffs, as a lot of people did. But, uh, you know, my team has just been as passionate as ever. They've worked or more passionate than ever. They've <clears throat> stepped up like I've never seen them. They're working seven days a week. They don't complain. They want to work harder. They're, they feel as though they're part of, you know, uh, you know, fighting through the pandemic and feel as though they're part of the brand, but that they all have a voice. And, and so I think that's very, very important. And that was, you know, critical that we made that shift back to that as opposed to try and say, okay, well, we're going to be professionals now, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and sometimes that's what it takes, right? You, you, you bring in the pros to learn how much you actually knew all along. Um, exactly. <laughs> and you know it in a, in a more authentic manner, right? And I think that's, that's what's important because that authenticity, once that is being killed, um, it's really, really difficult for any company to, to keep well, going. Well, funny, the, the way you said that was absolutely ideal because, you know, the, our director of finance, like, kept hiring these, you know, uh, high-priced consultants to do, you know, reviews and consulting and pay all the stuff, and we'd pay all this money. And she said, "So what we're doing is we're paying all these people to tell us what we're already do know and we're already doing, but we're doing better." 
<laughs> so we just paid them a hundred. We just paid them fifty thousand dollars to tell us, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, so it is funny that uh, that you do that. So well, well, it's yeah. interesting because in 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 my in my field in 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 branding, um, you know, that's what happens a whole lot. You pay an agency and they work for you know six months to tell you what your brand needs to be, and 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 that is that is the same kind of process that I think is so it doesn't feel authentic. And you know what I do instead is I just go in and I spend one day with the founders, you know, really redefining and figuring things out, and then you know I, I basically like let them go right because I know that they are the best ones. Yeah, exactly. to actually implemented no so. but you do but you do need a but i you know with that said i think that's where you know people such as yourself and others come in because slowly you know when you <clears throat> you know as the founder um you know one of the things that you know recognize always recognize is you get your face you know too close to it and you can't see it and that's right. when you and i would talk to bring in because all of a sudden these things you know it's one little thing switches to another little you know as an example we <clears throat> shifted the color and one thing to another and now the stores were you know very gray walls and, and you know still very pretty but it was a it was a you know gray and then a dark floor and, and it looked it got to be very industrial got to be cold it got away from who we initially were but if but it was that slippery slope where one thing led to another one thing led to another led to another um and so you need somebody every now and then with those outside eyes to look at it with you know from a global perspective and look at what the foundation of the brand really was and also what you need to shift because a brand is always evolving. <clears throat> it's always changing. And sometimes the people that are closest to it, uh, you know, are the most blinded by it. And so I think that you've got to be willing and open, which, which we are to bring people in and, uh, relook at it. And, and I relook re at things. And I think you also have to update the, the brand to make it engaging and interesting. You have to, you know, uh, reshape your collateral. How are people going to look at it? How are people listening? Is it through traditional collateral where they're in store? Is it more digital? Is it, you know, where's it going to live? And so there's a lot of elements where I think that branding and branding firms are absolutely critical uh, uh, in in having that. So I think that, uh, so while I talk about, <clears throat> you know, the guest, you know, shaping the brand, I do believe you need experts to execute on that mission of, you know, okay, this is what they're saying, but how are we going to get that messaging out and be consistent as we grow in a multi-platform business? And a, you know, we're in 17 states right now. And so what people listen to and, in Dallas as opposed to Los Angeles as opposed to you know Cleveland are, are different and so while we have to be the same we also have to you know look at those various idiosyncrasies and, and blend them together and sometimes and quite often it takes a you know an expert in that trade to help us uh, integrate that Absolutely. And uh, thank you for making uh, my sales pitch much better than I could have ever done it. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> I really no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so it's so true. Um, as, we're, as we're slowly, you know, slowly coming to an, to an end here. Um, uh, I do want to ask you, if, if you would if you would be able to to well, this could be a pun, right? But if you would put nectar into a funnel, <laughs> and then you, you would choose nectar um, as a brand, then you would really you would there would only be like one word coming out that really describes one or two words that describe the entire brand what you stand for why you exist um you know coca-cola always used to used to say coke is happiness right i mean that was the whole thing right. and you know everlane for instance coming in now is about radical transparency you know sappos is about customer service etc etc what is a word and this is a difficult one right like what is a word that could describe nectar in its essence yeah, let me let me give you a sort of a very very quick story on this. The so over the first ten years or first nine years, you know, our, our tagline has been, you know, live the nectar life. Um, uh, and while it was 
a decent tagline. To me, it didn't quite resonate. And then when we had this whole, it didn't really tell the story in my mind in the, in the simplest fashion. So during this time, you know, obviously people are, you know, uh, working from home. People are uh, telecommuting, and also people can really identify. On we had people really focused on the marketing aspect, the operations, the day to day, you know, things of that nature. And during that time, it got uh, you know got us and got me to thinking of you know, who we really are and, you know, what we want to be in, in, in an essence. And so therefore what we've done is we've shifted, which we've released in, in relatively short order, you know, uh, an, uh, an updated tagline, if you will. Um, like I said, it's an updated tagline, which is called, which, uh, which we've deemed live life to the freshest. And so the goal really is to, you know, get people, if we can encourage people to eat one fresh thing a day, whether it be through Nectar or somebody else, you know, then I think that's, you know, what our goal is. I think that, uh, that, uh, you eat one fresh thing, you might need another fresh thing and slowly, you know, uh, live a cleaner, healthier life. I think that, you know, kind of like going to the gym, the key is getting to the gym that first time. And then all of a sudden you realize how good you feel and you go to the second and the third. And I think for us, you know, the goal for Nectar when we first started was if we could have somebody just have green juice once and that motivated them to maybe walk the dog that night or maybe eat a little bit healthier, have a chicken or a fish that night instead of a burger or something of that nature. And so I think we wanted to simplify things. And the the mantra for us is, you know, let's just start small. And so, you know, if it's an apple, you wake up in the morning, terrific. Let's just start there. So, so that's really the essence of, of, of what we are and who we are and and, and what we're trying to, trying to do. Well, it's a nice it's a nice blend. Um, again, no pun between between your product, which is the freshest, and and living life to the fullest, right? Which is kind of like more of, of the emotional, you know, aspect. Well, of, well, and it's not even live life to the fullest. I probably mumbled when I said it, but it's live life to the freshest. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's exactly what I mean. So fresh, uh, fresh is the part that is your brand, right? And then if you right. if you think about live life to the fullest, that's kind of like what comes to exactly. mind when you see the sentence, and that's really the overarching, you know, brand of like you know live live life and, and, and be healthy and that's where the that's where the branding experts come in because you have live life to the fresher which was then which resonates to the fullest which res- yep. resonates to the best potential to you know living your best self and you know so i think that's you know and that's what it's really all about i think so you know if we can provide and i think that's one of the attractive the one thing that makes nectar attractive in the sense of you know, for me, we're doing something that is, you know, uh, that is healthy, that people enjoy, that people feel better about, uh, as opposed to uh, nothing against selling office furniture. But if I came home each day and said, hey, honey, I sold 10 chairs today, you know, uh, you know, what power does that have or what, you know, sense of purpose does that give me? And, you know, maybe not quite as, maybe for some people it does, but maybe for me, not as much. Uh, but if I know that, uh I know that uh, we're making communities healthier and more engaged and more conscientious of what they're putting in their bodies. And, you know, that makes me feel better as a, uh, you know, as a person and what we're doing. And, uh, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, both our, our uh, team members and, you know, franchisees uh, likely feel the same way. Absolutely. I'm, I'm going to end it right there. So let's talk about where listeners can find Nectar Choose. Yes, yeah, so we're only in the U.S. We're in 17 states, so I want uh, you know we people can always go to the website to figure out which states. But we've got a, a lot. Our largest presence are in California, Arizona, Texas, uh, and now we're expanding into the Carolinas, into Tennessee, Florida. Uh, we're just we'll be opening in um, the Midwest and Indiana and uh, Illinois, not the not too distant future. So. 
uh, we're starting to expand the brand beyond, you know, the footprint of a traditional, you know, uh, say juice bar space in the sense of, you know, in cold climates, we've been able to, 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 you know, buck the trends that actually do very well in cold weather climates. Um, and so now we'll be able to, you know, when we penetrated quite a bit of uh, Colorado, we'll continue, uh, continue those, those fashions. As far as international, we have no, you know, real plans in the books right now. I think that, uh, you know, with what we've been through, I think the goal is to, you know, tighten up who we are at our 10 year anniversary. Thought we thought this would be a time to, you know, refresh, you know, what we're doing. And, um, so I think we'll spend about the next year doing that and then growing the brand. And then we'll look at, the. Yeah, and we'll always look at various op- different opportunities, whether it be international or partnerships, like with Whole Foods and such. But uh, you know, the goal is to try and stay focused on what you do and what you do best, and let let, let things come to you that way. In my opinion, it's great, absolutely great. So for for listeners, um, they can go to nectarchoosebar.com and uh, use the locator to find your stores. Um, listen, Steve, thank you so much for having been on the show. It was it was a real great pleasure to 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 speak with you and to to see your viewpoint as you as you build your own brand to the success that it is today no it was an, you know, it was an honor to be on your show and i really appreciate being invited and uh, i've really enjoyed it so you know thank you for having me and uh, you know i wish you all the best and look forward to seeing you when i get back to uh, california and talking about some more stuff so absolutely we have to get shoes and not coffee <laughs> there you go. Exactly right. right. And drink my coffee. As I, as I sit here and drink my coffee this morning when I talk to you. So. Oh, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll have the juice in a couple hours. All right. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Steve Schultz of Nectar. If you have not done so already, hit subscribe and give the show a quick rating so more listeners like yourself will be able to find and enjoy hitting the mark. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.